Hi there, and welcome to the Future of Influence podcast. Here we discuss the power of influence, leadership, overcoming challenges, and more. They call me King Raj Singh, creator of the Future of Influence podcast. Stay on after the show, and we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in our industry. With that, here we go. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you're in for a real treat because I have with me Gwen Cooper. Uh, Gwen is a, uh, I guess, retired CIA agent. Is that the right phrase? I didn't technically retire out. I was there for 10 years. So okay. I'm a former. Former. Yeah. It's like my father. He never retired from the Navy. He just left. <laughs> <laughs> he just left. Uh, but uh, I wanted to uh, maybe start with... Uh, asking you about your professional background. Sure. So I am an adult educator, um, adult development specialist, and I also have a background in change and leadership development consulting and learning and development consulting. And I'm a former CIA clandestine officer. So part of the directorate of operations. So it's quite a, a varied um, background, but it really lends itself so well to the leadership development work I'm doing today. Well, that's what I wanted to pick up on, Gwen. I was wondering if you could talk to us about uh, maybe two or three key um, experiences you've had professionally, which really shaped your role as development leader. And what I'm hearing is almost a change agent. Yeah, precisely. I have called myself change agent from time to time, and that's exactly it. So I think one of the things I've done is I've worked in and lived in seven different countries and worked in almost 50. And so it's it's the personal journey of, of suspending my own assumptions about things and coming in as sometimes as the expert but realizing that there's as much that I need to learn as the expert in any environment. And I think that's what I bring to my clients. And a lot of my, my clients are CEOs, top leaders who are very knowledgeable, have a lot of experience and grappling with things that they don't know. And that can be a very uncomfortable place to be, to be the boss and not be the one who knows things. And so the leadership coaching I do, executive coaching I do, helps people develop themselves, continue to develop themselves and their perspectives. It gives people the ability to talk about, I don't know what I'm doing here. (laughs) I'm not quite sure how to handle these situations. And that is normalizing the adult development that we have throughout our lives. And, And as leaders, it doesn't stop because we get to a certain stage. So I work a lot with leaders and helping them develop into areas that they could do better at in areas where they might have um, biases, where they might not be able to see things the way they want to see them to, to develop and meet the challenges that they are given in their positions. And the other area, I help a lot of organizations with changes and things that their people need to adapt to, that their organizations need to adapt to. And one of those is uh, that I've really enjoyed recently is helping new managers. That is such a, a neglected and underdeveloped area in organizations and such a critical return on investment is helping managers, new managers, uh, 
develop the skills and the mindset necessary to help drive teamwork and collaboration and innovation. Let me pick up on a couple of points you raised there. First is uh, yesterday I visited with a woman who uh, had uh, had an overseas assignment and it was a corporate assignment. And she said that to have any success, it required her to be culturally curious. And that led to understanding, have a better understanding of her coworkers um, in uh, or outside the U.S., and that that is really lacking in in many Americans and in American corporations. We tend to think, uh, well, everyone does business like us, and if they don't, they shouldn't. Uh, but your experience seems to suggest something other. Yeah, I can agree more with her take on that. It it is if we're looking at moving from the industrial revolution into the the smart machine age. There are going to be jobs that are only they're only those jobs are can only be done by humans let's put it that way and so what does that mean that a lot of jobs are going to be taken over by machines so where does that leave us that leaves us in the areas of emotional intelligence relationship building team collaboration innovation those are the areas for humans and that is what i've learned in my experience of being overseas is that for me to really understand and be able to share any expertise I had, I had to be curious about other people and where that fit into their world. I had to learn what the context was. And that curiosity is the thing that's going to set us apart from the machines. Like it's going in from the industrial ages. I have knowledge. I have a pool of knowledge. I'm an expert, but that is where the machines take over. We don't need people to memorize things and have the deep knowledge exclusively. We need people to have deep knowledge and also be able to, and going back to the adult development part, unlearn, relearn, have curiosity about what they don't know and not just rest on those things that they do know. So it's twofold. It's the, it's the knowledge part and expanding on knowledge for innovation and it's the curiosity to develop relationships. You also said something that I was not only very gratified you talked about, but I think it's extremely important. And that was you focused on managers. And if I could change it a little bit, what I see is many corporations understand the need to have an appropriate tone from the top. Leaders at the top will uh, develop themselves around that. What I don't see is moving that message down to middle managers, but then also training those middle managers, not only to push the messages that they're receiving from the top down, but also be able to receive back information and feedback from the lower ranks. And so people get promoted because they may be hard workers. They may be uh, subject matter experts, variety of reasons, and then they're stuck in in somewhere. And if I could even lay on another layer, uh, I've worked in large corporations. And for me, management was my direct supervisor. It was middle management. I never met the CEO. I was a lawyer, so I never met the general counsel, but I did meet my supervisor. And what I saw was that it didn't seem like they were given a lot of training. So I was wondering if you could give a few words about uh, why you think training managers is so important as opposed to, or in addition to the senior leadership of a company. Right. Uh, And as we move again in this, this idea of, um, uh, smart adaptive machines and the, the smart adaptive machine world uh, comes from Edward Hess of the Darden School. He also focuses on hyper learning. 
And so when we look at organizations, what is no longer working is the silos, it's the hierarchy. And so he talks about moving into the future and read Dalio as well in his work with, in principles with Bridgewater. It's about meritocracy. How do we create the feedback loops, idea meritocracy, where there are ideas and innovation coming from various levels of the organization? So how do we create kind of fearless cultures that aren't fear-based in that I, I, this is my place and I have to stay in my place, but how is everybody considered to be a leader of thought and be able to share and give feedback in that? And classically, it's here's my place, here's my role, I don't want to upset my boss, uh, my job is to make my boss look good. And I would say yes, and if an idea meritocracy, there's no fear in sharing ideas. In fact, it's encouraged. And there isn't a, I need to control my people, I need to manage my people. It's how do I encourage my people to share things? How do I, how do I manage by ensuring open communications, active listening, collaboration, driving innovation, failing fast, which is very contrary in the world of fear of making mistakes, but actually embracing the design thinking ideas around experimentation and failing fast in order to have great ideas and push uh, an organization forward. When you've got an upcoming book coming out entitled Need to Know Leadership Lessons from the CIA, and I was wondering, uh, who did you write this book for? Who's your target audience? I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that you asked me that question because I struggled at first and I, I thought, well, this is really great for all leaders, but I am focusing on newer leaders and newer managers, although I do think there are a lot of lessons that are, are useful across the board. Uh, but the stories I've gathered, so some of them are my stories, and then some are from other uh, CIA officers or friends of mine who shared stories with me. And it's really about mistakes. It's about things that new situations we went into and maybe some successes. <laughs> we got lucky and there are some successes, but there are also the lessons learned and the mistakes looking back going, oh, geez, if I'd only known that. And and I was inspired to do it. Not I didn't think, oh, I need to write a book and tell everybody and I want to write my memoir. That wasn't it. I was really inspired by the work I was doing in organizations as a consultant and thinking and seeing things go on and, and realizing there was so much that I took away from my experience working as a human intelligence officer that allowed me insights into the business world. And I, I had completely taken them for granted. I didn't see everything until I switched, until I left the agency and I was back in the business world. And I went, oh, wow, nobody else is seeing this. I'm seeing this. And uh, I thought, wow, there, there are some opportunities to really share some of those insights from a, from a novel perspective. I mean, the agency can be kind of sexy and interesting, but it's really about putting oneself into novel environments in order to problem solve. And I thought, this, these are the lessons in business that are really going to translate well. And particularly for new managers, who might be a little reticent to take some risks, but that's really where, where the learning comes. And there's, there's such a steep learning curve 
to we're moving from individual contributor to manager. Such a steep learning curve. I'd like to focus on the word human in the phrase human intelligence. Yeah. And that really intrigues me uh, for use in the corporate world. So how could a manager, a leader, or, or just an employee use the human part of human intelligence to maybe move things forward in the corporate world? Yeah, it's great. It's so relevant right now uh, when we have the digitization that's going on and the data science. There's so many parallels for me from my work at the agency. We had all different types of collection. We had SIGINT, signals uh, intelligence, and we had covert action. We had all different types of intelligence, technical intelligence. But human intelligence had a very specific role. You couldn't have just all the the technical and signals and everything else without the human intelligence. So there's, there's a very particular role for the human factor. And I see that so similar uh, as to what's going on with digitization. So there's so many things that are gonna be digitized and so many roles that will go away. Yet what remains for humans is the ability to be creative, to be emotionally intelligent, to better understand what other humans need in far as far as services and products. It's really connecting to to the design thinking ideas of empathy, curiosity we talked about, uh, human-centered design. How do we drive innovation? How do we how do we solve complex problems? That's where humans come in, and that's why human humans as leaders, leaders as humans, we have to step up our game. We're operating in a, we have to operate in a very different way now. Oh, I heard so many things there. Let me see if I can unpack a few of those. Okay. Uh, the first one is really uh, around data. And you're absolutely right. We are inundated with data. And it seems to me that one of the uh, key lessons or key skills for really any business executive going forward is going to be able to synthesize that data and then use that data in a meaningful way to uh, implement strategy, whether that's a risk management strategy, whether it's a business strategy, whether it's a sales strategy uh, going forward. So that that seems to be one thing, but you're actually saying it's, I, I heard much broader. It is taking the information, really unleashing the talents of the, those who work with you and for you and also putting it into those same strategies, would those be fair statements? Very. And I would say as well with the data, and this comes from agency experience, uh, getting raw intelligence from the field, which was one of my roles early on, and to analyze that. It's like, okay, so this came from somebody. All right. And how does this track with what else we've seen? And what would be this person's motivation in sharing this? What's their access? It's asking a lot of questions about the data that's coming in. Like, what's missing from this? What what don't we have? Where can we get that? What what it's 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 not just taking the data as is. It's looking at the data and going, okay, how is this how is this uh, assessed? How was this created? What was the study? What what inherent biases might there be in this data that we have to look at? So that's where the the human aspect comes in is it's data and we need to ask, we need to be curious about how, where, when it was collected and for what purpose and for what use and what do we do with it? And how is it, how is it meaningful? 
when you're consulting with or providing development for a leader, how do you help them both understand and then implement creating uh, an environment for success in a company? Yeah, so it's really about looking at the, the transition from what is what has worked well, of course, but what is still the in, industrial age and the limitations around that, and how can we expand into what the world needs of organizations and leaders to be creative, be innovative, continually grow and expand and in a, in much more rapid cycles than people are used to. And that is inherently destabilizing. <laughs> it's never having a solid, it's seemingly for, for, for many not, not to have a solid foundation to work from, but it's the juggling of there's always a, a solid foundation and yet you have to be ready to pivot at any time and have plan B's and plan C's. And that again goes back to so much of what I learned in the agency around operations planning. It's like you have a plan, you have a plan, it's a solid plan and, and it could go haywire in so many different ways that you have to be ready for that to happen. You have to be ready to pivot in it and and it, it and be flexible and and be and be practiced at it. Do scenario planning and so, for example, I did a I did a study while I was at the agency looking at uh, security environments. We were updating security environments environments post nine eleven, and my part of my job, which was a great way to think about getting data and being curious at the same time, was to do critical incident interviews where I would ask people, I had a, a data that I was looking for, but I would ask very open-ended questions like, tell me about a time when, tell me about a time when an operation didn't go well. And it was all about learning from those situations and understanding not only when things didn't go well, but how people learn to be resilient, how they learn to pivot and how they apply that moving forward. Let me uh, now turn to your company, uh, Cooper Solutions. Mm-hmm. I really wanted to, to, I was very interested in reviewing your website and doing some research on you guys about your approach to organizational culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we now even have the government in the form of regulators recognizing that culture is a critical element for companies. Um, so I think that message has come across, but how do you help a company uh, strengthen or improve their organizational culture and then to maintain it? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, it's it's really. I start quite often. I start with talking about what are the values of the organization, because and I, and it's very similar approach to working with individuals as well. It's like we we all have values that drive our behaviors, drive our thinking, drive our actions. We may may not be aware of what they are, and they need to be brought to the surface. But that's a really key part of step one of looking at what what are the values and it's how are we acting on the values and how do people in the organization see the values. I've worked with so many organizations where they have, we have these really clear values and then you start to interview people in the organization and 
they feel that the actions and the behaviors are in direct conflict with the stated values. Happens all the time. Unintentionally, there's no malice. It's just unintentional. And it's looking at, okay, then how do we, how do we help prepare? How do we align better with the stated values? How do we drive behaviors and actions? How do we, again, then thinking about the, the future and moving into a, a, a digital arena, how do we create feedback mechanisms and idea meritocracy? How do we reduce fear in an organization? And so how do we create psychological safety in an organization so teams can collaborate better, people can share ideas? How are those things not happening now? How do those things align with the values? How are they being blocked? which goes against the values. I do a lot of work in compliance and there right. uh, there's a lot of talk around whistleblowers. There's various laws that protect whistleblowers in the corporate world. There's Dodd-Frank, uh, there's Sarbanes-Oxley. We have a new one now that came in with the NDAA, which was passed relating to the Bank Secrecy Act. Yeah. Certainly the, uh, the safety of a whistleblower, the psychological safety the availability to raise your hand and speak up is viewed as a critical element. What's Mm -hmm. fascinating me though, is you're talking about those same concepts, but you're spinning them some almost if if you view a whistleblower as protecting you from violating the law, you're talking about creating a safe place to actually explode the growth of your company. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the psychological to safety to say, I don't think this is working. (laughs) I think we're spending a lot of money on this and I don't think that it's working. I think we could do cheaper, smaller tests to see if this is really going to work. Is it safe to say that? Is it safe to say, I, I don't think we've thought this through completely. I think we need to take a step back. It's that kind of safety. Does that message resonate with uh, your clients or folks that you're talking to about a potential engagement? All the time. All the time. It does. It it doesn't. There is this fear of usually making somebody look bad or getting getting on somebody's bad side or not being appropriately political in the workplace where they they do feel that they can say they can say they can say a few things or like share some reservations, but then when it they get pushed back, it's like okay, I need to I need to stop talking about this. So we're recording this in early January 2021, and I was wondering oh, uh, of the year we just went through, how the events of the year, the coronavirus health crisis, the uh, social justice movement. Uh, the turmoil around the election, all of these great mechanisms of change, have they really uh, required you to not so much change your message, but perhaps deliver it in a different way, particularly in the working from home environment? I think it, I think what I have shared with people is, I don't know if it's my message as much as the my ability to see in other people's faces the the fact that they are dealing with change or such significant change and destabilization that they 
that they're overwhelmed. And for the first time in their lives, it's, it's a little bit more than they know what to do with. And I, it's, it's, it's very obvious. I, um, a lot of people are looking at what's happening and so much is happening at the same time that they don't know where to start. And I have great compassion for that. It's, it's, familiar when I think back to maybe the first time I lived overseas or um, one of my early experiences when I was 20, I had a, I was in college, I had a cranial aneurysm and I survived it. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of people get to say that, uh, but it was a completely destabilizing situation. I didn't know how to make sense of it. I didn't know. It, I was lucky enough where I was in the hospital just just for six weeks and then went back to school the next semester and didn't have any lingering issues around it, which is unheard of, but it was such a destabilizing situation that I just had so many questions about what, what really matters and where do I go from here and what's my identity now? And, and I see that happening with so many people who whose jobs have changed, their lives have changed. And it's, it's that, kind of trying to make sense of things, meaning making, sense making, and uh, some personal work around identity and, and next steps. It's a, it's a lot going on for folks. You've talked a little bit about uh, where you think leaders, managers, and employees need to improve skills over the next several years, but now let me change that to companies. Mm-hmm. So what do companies need to be thinking about as we move to 2025 or, or even beyond? Yeah, it, it's really a very similar uh, take on, on the, what I talked about before around digitization, only continuing to create organizations that support that type of innovation and growth. So there's a stability side to maintaining the status quo of the organization at any one time. And plus, there has to be an equal emphasis on what's next. There can't be a wait, well, we'll wait and we have a strategic plan and it's five years and we'll, uh, but it's, it's in tandem, I believe, is where it's this stability of running the operations day to day and the constant look at innovating, focusing on customers, the human side of things, and the innovation and development. So those have to be done in tandem. It's not an, an off-site, an innovation off-site, you know, once a, once a year or heaven forbid, once a year, but it's a continual balancing of the, the status quo and how are we driving innovation. I'm glad we are recording this podcast, both audio and video, because I think our listeners by watching this, we'll get a sense of how passionate you are around this. And, and I'm going to go back to the human intelligence because that struck me as one of the most passionate things you said. But mm-hmm. what continues to to drive your passion around I, this mission? I hear about the human part of human intelligence. Yeah, I think there's so much suffering <laughs> in organizations and. And leaders suffer, and I think they often suffer in silence. And so, one of my one of my areas of passion is is really it sounds lofty, but it's really pretty 
basic is how can I help reduce that suffering? How are the the skills and the experience I have that I bring to the table? How can I help reduce that suffering and and create something positive and powerful and and innovative? That's really that is very exciting. Uh, so, Gwen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information on yourself, your upcoming book, or uh, your company. Where could they go? Yes, please. Um, I'm at coopersolutionsllc.com, and you can email me at cooper at coopersolutionsllc.com. I'll need uh, a couple of readers uh, who are interested in looking at a few chapters and giving feedback. So I, I'm welcome. I welcome people to connect with me for that. Um, love to get diverse ideas and feedback. I, I try to live what I preach. So that's a big part of it. I'm also on Instagram, um, coop.soul, C-O-O-P.S-O-L. And she's also on LinkedIn because we're connected now. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, challenge uh, our listeners to uh, connect with Gwen and connect now. Go to her website, schedule a time to, to visit with her. She's got some really great ideas and really from a unique perspective. We don't get a lot of former CIA officers, uh, using the skills you learned uh, as leadership. I see, uh, I know several who are more technically focused, uh, but I don't see people talking about the human part of human intelligence. So uh, I think it would be a great thing for uh, any listener to do. And I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you, Tom. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Future of Influence podcast. If you're interested in sharing your story by being a guest on our show, please visit https colon slash slash kingrajsingh.com slash podcast slash apply to apply. And if you liked what you heard, please also visit and follow us on all social media. Please subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Once again, they call me King Raj Singh, and thanks again for listening to the Future of Influence podcast. Tune in next time.